Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas with Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I have someone I want to introduce to you. It's a new friend to me, and for many in our community, it will be a new friend to them. But I, I, I want you to uh, hear from Judd Saul. He has a ministry where he reaches out. Uh, it's called Equipping the Persecuted. And uh, I've just learned about him, and so I wanted to interview him and just to understand his heart, what God has been doing in his life, and, and what God is now doing uh, through this ministry that he has given him. And so, Judd, welcome uh, welcome to Life Over Coffee. Thank you very much, sir. I wish we were in person actually enjoying coffee together. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Good. I, I was doing an interview uh, a few weeks ago, and the gentleman said, well, I don't like coffee. And so that really put me in a spot, and uh, we finally <laughs> narrowed it down. Uh, he liked kombucha, Judd. And so, oh. Uh, oh. yeah, there you go. So we decided <laughs> we would do life over kombucha. But anyway, we should get along great then. Uh, we'll do a little bit of cyber life over coffee. All right, so I was reading on your website, and by the way, you can uh, find uh, Judd's website. Uh, it's equippingthepersecuted.org, and I do want to talk about what that means, not just from an origin story, but also mm-hmm. what you're doing currently and aspirations for the future. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm curious about uh, you. Uh, I, if I read correctly, you started this ministry, or it, it was birthed in your heart in uh, 2011, and uh, you look to be, what, 35, 40 years old? I, uh, I, well, I appreciate that. I, I'm 44. <laughs> okay. And so uh, you were 33 or so years old. And so that's mid, I mean, that's midstream here. And so what were you doing? What was your story before and up to uh, this major pivot in your life as far as a ministry uh, in Nigeria? So if you would have asked me today, would have I would I have ever considered being doing missions in Nigeria? I, I, if you would have said that to me in my twenties or any of that, it would have been like, no, absolutely not. Sure. Um, uh, I come from a uh, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I'd say I was fairly well rooted, but I left. I I stopped being involved in Christianity uh, when I turned about twenty years old. Went into film okay. school and. Uh, did a lot of uh, secular projects and was living for the world and living for me. And it wasn't until about 2009 um, I had my wake-up call with God. And uh, when, when would you? When were you a Christian, or can you like land the plane on that approximately? So, yeah, I, I got. Uh, I was uh, saved when I was about nine years old. Yeah, uh, okay. I was. Uh, I was saved. Um, you know. Uh, Felt, you know, felt the conviction of the Lord and uh, confessed my sins and um, was uh, led to Christ then. And I was baptized uh, thereafter. But uh, my sin and life got in the way and I, I just kind of turned away from the faith for a while. Um, I, I went through a lot of church drama, a lot of uh, bad things. And you know how uh, people kind of blame the church for problems? When there's right. bad things that happen within a church, I was one of those guys. And uh, I just said, yeah, you know, I don't want anything to do with church for a while. I'm going to go do my own thing. And then uh, I kind of hit the wall in 2009. And God said, Judd, I put you here on this earth to do my will, not your will. 
You take two paths. You go this way. I'm gone. You go this way. This is what I have in your life. And uh, so I, I was involved in secular uh, rap music industry. I uh, did music videos. I was involved in all that nonsense and junk. And uh, I quit it all. I went cold turkey, got out of production, got out of film entirely, sold off all my rights, everything that I had done in that field, and uh, dove into the word and started taking my, my faith very seriously. And then it was right around that time, my grandfather, who was an evangelist, um, who was on the board of a mission to Nigeria, brought the missionary in uh, to come speak in our town. And I went to go see this missionary. And <laughs> uh, I'm sure you've seen this before. Uh, old school missionaries have no idea how to market or rarely understand any technology. Right. right. So, so he shows up with this slide projector. Not I remember those. Not 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 a not a projector, you know, that uh, connected to your computer and you have a PowerPoint, but it was actually a slide projector where it's like click, click. Here's the picture. The, the carousel. The carousel. Yeah. Yeah, with the little with the little uh, square uh, negatives that you put in there. <laughs> right. And you you click it around. Yes, I I remember that. And so I saw what was going on uh, with that. And, I was and like, what? Wow. And this this was in two thousand and nine. This was in two thousand nine. And All right. I was like, I was like, wow, this guy needs a lot of help. Uh, really needs help with this. And um, and uh, the Lord led me to say, you know, I can really help him out a lot. And I went to Nigeria um, uh, two years later with my grandfather, and I did a mini documentary for this guy's mission. And when I did that mini documentary, uh, donations to his missions doubled. And it was and I. It, being in Nigeria was a big wake-up call for me when I first went because I saw real Christianity being practiced right. and the effects of Gospel 101, which is demonstrating the love of Christ while sharing the Gospel and how receptive people are to simple Gospel 101 helping people yep. in need and preaching the gospel and watching it work. And it was, it was a much more simplified Christianity for me, instead of going to all these theological backgrounds and all these little arguments and our first world problems we have here in America. And they changed my life forever. Yeah. So do you want to reclarify? Uh, you said uh, you, you wasted your life in production and, and so forth and so on. Uh, it seems like there's a connection here. I, I just finished this book called Range. Uh, it's by a gentleman named uh, David Epstein, and he t it's a secular book. But uh, he's talking about uh, how most people who uh, go into a profession, uh, typically uh, they don't start out from birth. Uh, to grave in that profession. Now, there's an exception right. to this, as he illustrates with Tiger Woods. Uh, Tiger Woods was pulling a putter around when he was six months old. He entered tournaments when he was two years old. Uh, and so that's all, you know, well documented. And so he really had his scripted life. Uh, but the gentleman talked about uh, Roger Federer, the tennis player, for example, who was not interested in tennis at all. 
and he spent his early life playing badminton and soccer and listening to CDs. And, and then finally, um, as a teen, uh, he discovered tennis. And of course, he would tell you that, you know, the footwork that he learned playing soccer actually contributed to his giftedness on the tennis court. And so I'm listening to you. Uh, you did not have a scripted life like Tiger Woods, but you, it was a eclectic kind of generalized life, but that wasn't, this is what I'm asking you. Do you want to re-clarify that? Was that really wasted? Because it looked like uh, once you hit Nigeria or once you saw the carousel, <laughs> you yeah. thought, hey, I, I have something that I can offer here. And so it, it kind of reminds me of Moses wandering around 40 years on the in the desert, uh, wondering what in the world am I doing in this desert? Uh, not realizing that there was going to be a time that uh, God needed somebody who knew uh, the nomadic desert life. Yeah, it, uh, looking back on it, uh, you, 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 you know, hindsight, you look at kind of how the Lord was working in little ways that brought me to certain peaks uh, uh, and uh, certain things I've learned and experience I've, experiences I've had led me to where I'm at now. And I'm able to use all that knowledge, everything I learned at that time, and now use it for good. Yeah. And uh, it has put me in a very unique uh, position now to be able to understand how a lot of these things work, uh, whether it's uh, filmmaking, technology, marketing, and being able to use these and apply this to the mission I'm on now. Yeah, and I think that's a good story for uh, all of us. Uh, we, we could... Uh, think that, you know, wherever it is we are at this moment is meaningless or uh, I'm not sure the purpose of it, but we need to understand that, that God is working his plan, though we might not have clarity yeah. at this present moment. Uh, as long as we have a heart for God and we're leaning the right direction, we might not be sure where that direction is taking us, but God is working his plan uh, in our lives. I think about stay-at-home moms uh, often that it's like, I'm, I'm not fulfilling any kind of purpose here, but there is huge purpose in what they're doing in this season of their life as they're raising up uh, the next generation. All right, so my question to you then, all right, so 19, uh, 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 11 years ago, uh, or in when you're 33 or so years old, uh, you mm -hmm. hit the wall. And are you married with children? I am married. I'm married. I got uh, five kids, uh, four girls and a boy. Well, congratulations. You got a lot of women in the house. Yes, <laughs> uh, what's, their, what's, their, what's their ages, by the way? Uh, 23 all the way down to eight. And our youngest is the boy. So he's got four extra mothers. <laughs> 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 well as i told our son uh he has two sisters uh i told him i said uh you have three wives uh and so how you treat the women in this home uh it will give you uh, an idea of how you're going to treat uh your future wife and so you can practice uh being a good husband to your mother and to your two sisters and then he, when he was like eight or nine, he figured out what marriage was. Like it's only one woman, and uh, <laughs> and he thought, Dad, uh, when can I get married? It's like I got too many wives. I'd like to have just one. Uh, but it has been a good testing ground for him. And uh, of course, your son is an overachiever. Uh, he's got uh, five women. Uh, 
in his house that he gets to serve. Uh, so praise God for him. Oh, and, and he's learning. He's learning. He's he's going to be uh, quite the ladies' man when he's uh, when he's older. <laughs> and uh, it's it's uh, it's almost frightening, but uh, we're uh, it's it's been a blessing, and uh, uh, the Lord has blessed us with wonderful kids, and uh, I couldn't be happier. Yeah, so I'm curious about two things. Uh, they both start with W. One is the wall, and the other one is your wife. Let's start with your wife. And so uh, I'm curious as to w- what hitting the wall means. But uh, yeah. wife, so you you say, honey, uh, I'm going to Nigeria or, or whatever. However that conversation goes, this is a serious pivot for her, too. I mean, I know it is yes. for you, obviously. Uh, but how did that conversation go with her or what? What did you tell her, and 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 how did you all walk through this huge transitional so, moment in your marriage? So, so this is this is the really interesting part is that so here I am I'm living a fairly secular lifestyle and just kind of saying you know and I was going to a seeker friendly church at the time and we were we both were uh, my wife uh, was saved um, right before we got married. And she was kind of stronger spiritually and praying for me while I was the one going astray. Well, she, she was a Catholic, come from a Catholic background, got saved and was just kind of getting a very tiny introduction into the, into the faith and, and what, what it all meant. I kind of had roots and knew a lot of the stuff, the Bible verses, the Bible stories, knew a lot about that. So when <laughs> I had my huge pivot where I was like, I'm coming back to God. I'm taking things serious. All that stuff that I was rooted in back then all became very real and alive. Uh, and um, all of a sudden, spiritually going, she was here. Then all of a sudden, I was like up here on a different level. And I'm like, when I get my mind set and I'm going, I go gung-ho all the way. And I'm just it's just like a freight train going in the direction where I'm supposed to be going. And she wasn't ready for it. <laughs> Okay. It yeah. went, so it went from, you know, um, me living a very secular, uh, non-Christian lifestyle, all of a sudden getting into the word, reading the word. Um, and spiritually, we were on completely different wavelengths and paths. And then when it came time to come to Nigeria, it was like, whoa, wait, what? Wait, what? what's going on here? I, I, don't, I don't get this. And um, I probably should have done a better job at bringing her along and helping her on the thing, but I am on that type of mindset where, you know, where I know the direction I want to go, I just run for it. And I should have brought her along a little bit more easy. Um, but it was very hard, um, for her because Nigeria is not, not an easy place to go. It's not a, it's not a safe place to go. It even wasn't then in 2011. And, uh, um, she, he came along uh alongside eventually and as as i grew in faith and she grew in faith we finally got on the same page and wavelength spiritually right there's something to be said about one flesh uh, and yes. so leaving part of your flesh behind is probably not the move that we want to make no. here and so no. we just want to make a note to self for uh those of us men who or aggressive overachievers, we can really get fixated on that goal out there and we can take off and, and leave our flesh behind or part of our flesh behind. And, uh, and yeah, it, it happens. 
And, and that's a lesson. That's a lesson to the guys out there that are listening is look, you have the vision, you have it in your heart. You know, that's exactly where you want to go. But if you're going to be a good husband and an effective leader, you cannot do this mission without your wife. Right. And without your family being on board and you guys being spiritually on the same page. That was one of the biggest lessons that I've learned. And, uh, you know, and thank God I got a great wife who's, <laughs> uh, uh, who, who loves me and is very patient. And I thank God for her every day. But uh, the smart thing to do, guys, is to make sure you guys are on the same page, especially when you make a big move like this, going into a mission where um, you're putting your life and you're putting uh, yourself at risk to do the Lord's work. It's, it's a different game. Yeah, and especially in ministry, uh, I mean, it applies across the board, whether you're in what we call ministry or not, uh, but any Christian yeah. uh, husband and wife. Uh, one of the ways that we communicate that here at Life Over Coffee is that that our ministry, uh, it, it doesn't start out there somewhere. It starts here in our own hearts with our relationship with God. And then the next person on our mission field, if we're married, uh, would be our spouse and then our children. Mm -hmm. And so it works out incrementally. Uh, you probably have seen, uh, I know I have, where uh, especially ministry people, men, us, we can... Yeah be so focused on out there that we, we're not taking care of ourselves spiritually, we're not right. taking care of our wives, we're not taking care of our children, and those that's our most important, I mean, we are our most important, I mean, if, if we're no good spiritually, then anything else is not going to be that great, and so it works out in those incremental circles, and that needs to be said aloud because guys especially we can be so focused in doing the work out there that we we jump these important circles that are more close that are closer to us so i'm glad that she uh yeah praise god for our women uh that <laughs> they are <laughs> god yeah well there's a lot to be said there all right so what is the wall you said you hit a wall was that like 60 miles an hour or was that just a bump up no it was it was it was very clear it was, it was just very clear and um it was it was it was if i went the way of the secular music industry and the things i was involved in i would have lost my wife i would okay. have lost my wife my kids and my family and i mean it was it was like a clear like you go this way you go this way that's it you go and or if you choose my way i'm going to bless you i'll bless your family and do what you're supposed to be doing for me. Were you going out and, like in bars or on, on tour or on? On tour, yeah, uh, rap tours. Okay. Um, like I said, a very, very secular lifestyle Yeah. Um, at that time. And uh, uh, many things I regret at that time, uh, <laughs> looking back on it. And uh, it, it just like hit me like a ton of bricks. And I felt and I just felt convicted. And I got on my knees and I prayed and I confessed my sins. I said, Lord, I'm choosing you. I'm choosing your way. Okay, I'm not so choosing my way anymore. Sequentially, uh, when did you, uh, you said it was your grandfather where he, he was presenting a mission thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so what was the sequence there? You went to that event or did you, was God already working in your heart God, prior God, to God that? Was already working on, God was already working on me. And okay. it was, it was, Seriously, just a few weeks later, after I got on my knees and repented okay. and confessed my sins, three weeks later, Grandpa brings this missionary in, and then 
you know, it was like, you need to go, you need to go help. You need to go help him right now. Like, it's just kind of, you know, you feel the, feel the spirit kind of lead you. It's like, okay, you need to go help him. And that's what I did. And, uh, after going to Nigeria and seeing what real Christianity is and what happened there, I just grew a heart for the Nigerian people. So I kept on coming back to Nigeria, coming back on these missions and, uh, and helping that mission out. But, uh, as things progressed, we, I saw the persecution against Nigerians increase. The attacks are getting worse. There's more killings. And, uh, I just started looking around and asking questions going, okay, who's actually here helping these guys out? And the current mission I was working with really didn't want to get involved because it's dangerous and too political and it might jeopardize what they have going on. But I felt the calling to leading me to help persecuted Christians. And, and from day one, since I went into Nigeria, that's kind of where my heart was. But as things progressed, I was like, okay, somebody's got to do something. And that's when I decided to start equipping the persecuted. Yeah, I want to get into the details of that uh, in just a moment. But uh, there's a point that you've made twice now early on and, and you just mentioned and i think it's worth uh talking about is that you went to a a third world country and you saw christianity lived out in a different way uh, yeah. than what most of us in america are familiar with uh, i had that experience in 1989 when i went to queens new york uh, uh, elmhurst jackson heights uh, in that area and i saw christians that it was far different than the Christianity that I experienced in the South. And so we would get up on Sunday morning in Queens to go to the church meeting, which was at a, um, a, a uh, American Legion Hall. And so on Saturday night, they have whatever they do in the American Legion Hall, but there's a lot of drinking and a lot of vomit. And so we would come in on Sunday morning and, and just mop the place and uh, pick up all the beer cans and get everything and then set up chairs and it smelled of alcohol and, and throw up. And those people were so excited about serving God. And, and not only that, there was every color under the sun. I mean, I was the whitest thing in there. And so I was experiencing Christianity, and, and I'm not disparaging where I live or the blessings right. that I have here. Uh, I'm not saying that negatively at all. I just had a singular view of how Christianity worked. And so I love where I live. I love the church I go to. I love et cetera, et cetera. But there are comforts here that you don't have in Queens, New York, and you definitely don't have in Nigeria. And so God used that to open my eyes to help me to see that the world is a lot larger than what we think, and Christianity is not exactly the way that we see it here in the comforts of America. Our son just came back from Zambia. Uh, and he spent a couple of weeks there, and it just really affected him. There is something to be said about, you know, short-term missions. I mean, we go to help people, obviously, uh, but God is a multitasker. Uh, he can do things in our heart as well. And so uh, it, it really changed how I viewed Christianity in a very positive way. Now, I did have to work on my bad attitude uh, toward my Southern Christianity, uh, but that was my self-righteousness as I began to look down on my own people and, and not really processing that correctly. But God leveled that out in my heart. I repented of my self-righteousness. Mm -hmm. But what I did keep 
what I've stayed aware of is that Christianity is much bigger and different in other parts of the country or other parts of the world. And so that's an important point that you're making. And so God, um, through a series of circumstances here, sent you to Nigeria, and then you're just exploding internally, seeing things, and and God is really rocking your world. Now, on uh, the African map, the map of Africa, where is Nigeria? Okay, so Nigeria is... I uh, draw it out. <laughs> um, so you have the, you know, where it goes down to South Africa, you know, down yep. here on this part over here. Nigeria is right up here on the, right on the kind of the corner. It's on the coast. It's on the ocean, but it's, it's considered like West, West Africa. Okay. Or okay. West Africa. And then of course you go up and you have the Middle East and Northern Africa and all that. So Nigeria. Is that the, is that the Indian Ocean? Is that the Indian Ocean? Um, no, not on that side. It's, it's still the Atlantic. I went to public school, so please forgive me. Okay. Uh, the, the, yeah, uh, it, oh, oh, West Africa. I'm sorry. So that's yeah. over at, um, Cameroon and. Right. So, so Cameroon borders Nigeria. Gotcha. Okay. And yeah. I, Benin, I was on the wrong coast. Yeah. yeah. So Cameroon, uh, you have Benin that borders and then North of Nigeria is Niger and Chad. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, all right. So you're talking about uh, Christianity in Nigeria, but you're talking about politics and persecution. So what is the country? What's the demographic of the country, uh, let's say religiously, and then also as far as our government is concerned? Okay. So uh, uh, religiously, that it's, uh, that's how you have to look at it is the politics and the religion and the religious uh, demographic of Nigeria. So it's, it's Christian versus Muslim. Okay. And uh, Nigeria um, was a majority Christian country and majority Christian. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, say Christian. Right, I understand. <laughs> was, right. But it was majority Christian. And um, Islam always had a little presence there. But what you're seeing now, what's happened was, is, is Muslims have been coming in from the north and slowly but surely taking over the country through what we would call a cultural jihad, which is uh, come in, have lots and lots of kids, and then start taking over territory politically and strategically. And right now we're at the threshold where it's about 50-50, 50% Muslim, 50% Christian. Heading heading toward Muslim and decreasing in Christian? Well, heading toward Muslim because uh, Muslims have taken majority political power in the country and and now they are essentially implementing a violent jihad against Christians. Right. And so that would be analogous to what we're seeing here in America. We were predominantly a Christian country. Yes. Uh, now the new religion, whatever we want to call it, uh, and they have taken over politically uh, and then enacting laws against Christians. Uh, not, yes. I would imagine, not as stark at this point as Nigeria, but in an analogous way, it's a very similar process of that shift where the religion is uh, is uh, assimilated with the politics, and then the politics is enacted against the anti-religious people or anti-their religion, in this case, right. Christianity. All well, right, so go ahead. Okay, so what a lot of people don't realize is, is Islam is both religious and political right 
and, and, and it's also cultural. And so what, what started happening is, is as they started taking over territory, they were implementing Sharia law alongside the Nigerian government law. So they had two sets of systems, and uh, they'd have their own Sharia courts, and then you'd have government courts. And right now what you're seeing is kind of a melding of the two coming together. Right. So you went over there uh, with this missionary uh, to help him yeah. to do, and you, you created a documentary, and it helped him with it. Now, you're not associated with him anymore. You, you started uh, this right. new ministry, Equipping the Persecuted. So how did that come about? Well, I just, I, I just got sick and tired of seeing Christians uh, being persecuted, losing everything they have, being killed, and no one doing, no one doing anything about it. Um, I, I would look at, I'd say, larger organizations, and a lot of people like to talk about the problem, but none of them are on the ground actually doing anything about the problem. So we saw, I saw a lot of organizations raising tons of money going, yeah, Christians are being persecuted in Nigeria, and then they aren't doing anything about it. You know, they talk about it, show pictures, but nothing's going on. And um, I developed a lot of connections and contacts, different pastors, all across the middle belt of Nigeria. And I just simply asked the question. I said, what if somebody came in here um, who helped develop uh, response teams to these attacks? Uh, what if somebody came in and taught basic security awareness training for villagers? You know, like things we totally take for granted here. Um, uh, you know, what if somebody came in and uh, helped you implement um, emergency plans uh, and security measures? And, they would say, we need this yesterday. We need this now. How can we do this? How can we get this started? And that's, and so I started making contacts, calling, uh, calling folks and, um, you had some people to get behind the idea and that's why we started. It's just cause I, I, I saw a gap of a big ministry gap that no one was doing. And I said, well, why, why can't we do it? And that's how it started. So it's a very practical ministry. So uh, when people think about ministering to uh, another country, they think about missionaries going in and establishing churches, church planting, uh, mm -hmm. starting schools for folks that they can go and get degreed or get educated in the Bible so that they can go out and plant churches. So you're not doing that, right? Well, we, we, we are, we are to, we are a, a little bit, um, What's happened is, so just, I'll just go back and explain this. When villages are attacked, a bunch of people are killed, but then you have thousands and thousands of survivors that no longer can go back to where they live. So then they've created what they call IDP camps, which stands for internally displaced person. So imagine being a refugee in your own country. And there's, ref, there's refugee camps all over the place in Nigeria where people have been completely uprooted and removed from where they live. So one of the things we do as part of the mission is we do help with education. We, we've um, built schools with these IDP camps where these kids are getting a biblically-based education. And the other thing we are doing is, is we're not exactly church planning, but we're helping churches that have been destroyed and helping pastors that have survived these attacks with aid uh, um, if they need Bibles or things to help rebuild their church to restart their ministry. We help them out there as well. Okay, so you're an infrastructure type ministry. So, like the the Lahana fires uh, in Maui that just decimated a town, 
somebody's mm-hmm. got to go in and not just rebuild the town, but I mean, people need housing, they need food, they need supplies. I mean, it's it's totally ground up out yeah. of nothing. Uh, so it's it's really an infrastructure. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's enormous. Uh, that that it's, seems like a that seems like a lot. It's it's well it, it's it, it's after an attack happens and depending on the situation, okay, you know, does an IDP camp well uh, that's newly formed? What do you guys need? A lot of times they don't have access to water. So what do we do? We drill a well for them in the camp. Um, they need food. They need sleeping mats. These are it's just basically helping people out that literally, I mean, you're talking about an impoverished nation where they didn't have anything hardly to begin with. Anyway, they were already sleeping on dirt floors. They had some clothes, maybe had a, you know, had a few items in their house, but imagine all that being gone and your entire, all the farms, the crops, everything you have been working on for generations is now destroyed. What happens to them? And so we come in with the help uh, and try to, assess okay how can we help you practically what can we do and um the lord has opened up so many doors uh in that we've seen so many people come to christ yeah they might have been a christian in name only but not taking their faith seriously right but we've seen many people come to christ because they say we thought the world forgot about us we didn't think anybody cared i said well no we do care jesus cares that's why we're here we're here in Jesus' name, and He loves you. He cares for you, and that's why we're here. Now, how are you funded? We're we're funded privately. Uh, 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 people that find out about our mission, if they're led to give, it's people all over the country. Um, we can't work with any international government organizations uh, because we unapologetically proselytize. Right. And the UN and USAID and those other organizations won't give us uh, any help because proselytizing and telling, preaching the gospel is a key tenet of our mission. And I will not compromise that to get aid from the government. So are you a, you're a nonprofit? Yeah, we're, we're a 501c3 nonprofit based in the U.S. And then we have an NGO in Nigeria um, called Equipping the Needy Initiative. Um, equipping the persecuted wasn't a name the Nigerian government liked very much, uh, so they essentially gave <laughs> us a name that we had to use for our NGO in Nigeria. So, okay, what's it called in Nigeria? Equipping the Needy Initiative. Okay, so uh, are, are are they amenable to? I mean, they're okay with you being there, or how does that work? They're okay with us being there because, uh, well, they're not doing anything about the attacks, but when people come in and uh, give aid to the victims and help out the people, it makes the local politicians look good. They try to take credit for what we're doing, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a very political thing, but when we're in there helping people and doing good, they, they'll welcome the help and everything they can, but they uh, tried warning us several times about our... Um, uh, how do I put it this way, of our preaching the gospel and um, telling people the truth about what's happening to them in regards to what Islam is doing in the country. Because they don't understand the history of Islam. They don't understand a lot of times why they're being attacked. Right. And, and we explain to them, no, this is what's going on. Here's the history. Here's what's happening. And then it becomes clear. Yeah, it reminds me, uh, in my former life, uh, I worked for BMW, the car manufacturing 
plant that is here in South Carolina and they had huge morale problems. Now this is 25 years ago. I don't know what the status is now, but they had huge morale problems. And uh, I started some Bible studies uh, inside the plant, like during lunch. And uh, <laughs> I proposed it to uh, the HR department and they said, uh, we can't uh, promote this for you. And then they pulled me aside and they said, but we don't want you to stop this because right, actually, right. but actually what you're doing is kind of helping with morale. And so we can't put it out there on the placard, but please continue to do what you do because it is really helping. So they were in a, they yeah. were stuck between wanting to help the situation, but the political pressure of the, the blowback or now we didn't have a word for it back then, but now we call it cancel culture. And so, you know, they would be canceled if they let me loose, you know, in that plant just creating Bible studies right. all over the place. And so on a much broader uh, spectrum, you know, it sounds like the situation that you're in, we want you to keep doing what you're doing. Um, but we're not going to, you know, run ads for you and put billboards up in the street. Right. Right. That's that's that that is exactly the way it's working in Nigeria right now. And uh, uh, it, you know, but as, as long as they allow us, uh, you know, in and uh, in, in to do what we do, they and they kind of look the other way. That's uh, we'll 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 use that as much as we can. Yeah, uh, pragmatics can uh, really drive a lot of the things that we do. And, and uh, even though they might may or may not agree with, you know, our religion, philosophy, methodology. Hey, so who are these people? I mean, what's the purpose of k killing people? I, I don't understand why it's, someone it, would want to decimate a village or a community. Uh, it's, it's part, it's part of their religion. It's, it's conquered by the sword. Uh, a lot of, it's very politically incorrect to say that, but that's how Islam has expanded its, uh, religion for the, since 640 AD. It's conquered by the sword, and uh, they do it when they have the political backing to be able to start doing that. So when they have majority political power, that means they're in control of the military, they're in control of the police, and when they can have them turn a blind eye to what's going on, then they can systematically take over, like death by a thousand cuts. It's not like all of a sudden they create an army and they come in and they're taking over the whole country. It's, they're just doing it one village at a time one little region at a time, slowly but surely. But there's a faction of political leadership or civil leadership that is okay with what you're doing, because it sounds like, yes. uh, it, it doesn't sound like it's 100% across the board governmentally, uh, that there's there's some people that uh, are opposed to that, and they're glad that you're doing what you're doing. So it seems well, like well, it's factious. It, well, we're, it, it's, 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 it's a very delicate situation because um, the government overall is is it's like it's like somebody does something bad they slap them on the wrist a little bit and then they let them continue doing what they're doing if they give a full out you know yes go kill the christians well then it's an international world problem so they're trying to play their own political situation try to look good on one side and try to placate the other side at the same time is essentially how the government's uh, been doing this so they'll placate radic the radical jihadis on one side because one i think I think some of the politicians are afraid for their own lives if they get if they resist too much 
and then they're also playing a game on the international uh, on the international stage. Uh, it, it it's really strange, but that is that's how it's playing out. It's really um, something. Well, America's starting to do the same thing. I never thought it would happen in America uh, the way we're doing things, but it's it's uh, how do I? It's like we're becoming a banana republic, and Nigeria I would consider a banana republic. Yeah. Um, how often yeah. are you uh, going to Nigeria? How much time do you spend there annually? Uh, three to four times a year, and each time could be uh, between two and three and a half weeks each time. Uh, okay. We have a staff. Of, we have a staff of forty on the ground there, uh, and we're are and we're adding more because the uh, the ministry is expanding. Uh, we we we're setting up five satellite offices in key states that are uh, regularly hit with terror attacks and things like that. So we decided to set up satellite offices there. We built an orphanage. We have an IDP camp school that we run with over three hundred students. Uh, we pay for everything, all the education, all the materials, everything for those kids. And uh, we're going to be duplicating that in some other areas, adding some more schools. And this so is the it, the NGO over in uh, Nigeria. Yeah, that's running all this. Now, this, this is a yeah. full this is full time work for you. Uh, it, it's eighty percent, but it's going to be full time probably starting next year. What's your What's your side hustle? My side hustle is I do part time insurance. Insurance, okay. Insurance, yeah. do some uh, life and health insurance sales and all that. Uh, my family was in the life and health insurance business. I kind of grew up around it, so that's okay. kind of my side hustle uh, when I'm not doing missions. But every year, it seems this is becoming more like more and more a full time effort. Yeah, the so, ministry. The ministry used to be the side hustle, but I, I, I see it has shifted now. Where your your former full time job uh, is now your side hustle, and that's good. I mean. Yeah. Eventually, uh, you know that can go away. Is uh, your wife Sherry right? Uh, is she's on board with all this? She's on board with all this. Uh, like I said, we're finally on the same same page spiritually. Thank God. And I'll tell you, when we got on the same page, we just saw uh, more of a blessing in our marriage, a uh, blessing with our family, and uh, and a blessing in ministry. Like everything came together when we all got on the same page and I thank God for that. Yeah. Unity in every aspect of life, uh, whether it's vocationally, uh, thoughts, dreams, desires, hopes, aspirations, communication. I mean, that's the whole, the goal of marriage is to continue to assimilate into that one flesh union. I mean, strangers marry each other, uh, no matter how often or how, whatever the dating relationship is, is still strangers. Uh, yep. it, but, but then once you, you start, I mean, you obviously you're one flesh at marriage, but the, the practical working out of that takes a lifetime. And, and so you all have experienced that over the last, I guess you've been, you're 44. So you've been married 20 something years, 19 years. I uh, just celebrated a couple weeks ago. Okay. So you were like 25 when you, when you got married. Yep. Good, good for you. Uh, so, uh, persecuted. The, the website is uh, equipthepersecuted.org. Uh, it's a very nice website, by the way. Did you build that or mm -hmm. some someone else? No, uh, uh, me and uh, my part-time assistant built it. 
Okay. No, it, it looks very good. And I you. saw uh, the documentary that you did that, and I would recommend that people go to equippingthepersecuted.org. Uh, it's a nice website. There's a good documentary there uh, of showing some of the activity, uh, this mm -hmm. gentleman that's preaching, and then some of the things that you're doing uh, on the ground. Uh, and then I saw that uh, PSA from Kevin uh, Sorbo uh, as well. Uh, that was nice mm -hmm. to, to pull Kevin in. Uh, also, so it seems like you're doing a lot of good work uh, administratively behind the scenes and getting this stuff uh, up and running. And uh, over the past 12 years now, it was 2011. Did I get that right? Yes. Yeah. Over the past 12 years, uh, the Lord has has done a lot with the ministry. And so what are uh, the top three needs that you have for this ministry? Uh, the top three needs we need for the ministry is... Um, one is we need people to get the word out about what's going on in Nigeria. Um, most people don't know this. 90% of all Christian persecution deaths happened in Nigeria last year. Really? I did 90%. not know that. I, I, yes. I would, I would be in that number. I did not know that. Yeah. 90%. And, um, a few months ago we started a project called truthnigeria.com where we're working with journalists and documenting all the attacks, the atrocities, and what's going on so we can help educate people what is happening in Nigeria. The mainstream media is not covering any of this stuff. Yeah, so when you say journalists, that's what I was thinking, mainstream media, I'm, I, I'm sure they're not interested. Yeah. So who no. are these journalists? Who are the types of people? We, uh, we, there, um, I ran into a, a guy by the name of Doug Burton uh, who took an interest in Nigeria, and he wrote for Epoch Times, Washington Times, and several of these other publications. Um, and he'd been trying to get mainstream media to put out stories for a long time on, you know, what's going on out there. And um, he'd been working with a couple local journalists. I had met some local journalists and I said, okay, let's put together a team where we're regularly documenting, getting photos, eyewitness evidence, everything on the amount of people who are actually killed who's doing it, what's happening, and we put it out there. And so the thing we need from people is to take this information and share it, talk about it, let people know this is what's happening in Nigeria. Um, the mainstream media says that all these persecutions are occurring because of climate change. <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, just, just the other day, um, was it The Guardian came out and said it was because of climate change. Uh, four months ago, the BBC said all these persecutions are happening or... This, these attacks are happening because of climate change. Now, um, uh, I'm, I'm just—I so, don't—I don't want to go too far down that path, but I'm, I'm yeah. curious: uh, is it because people are getting very hot, so they go out and kill people? What, what's the what's uh, the angle? The, the, I, their angle is is well, you know, uh, um, people are having trouble uh, living in Niger, and therefore that's making in Chad, and they're making them move further south. Well, the, the thing is, is that that's just not the case. That, 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 that's really not what's not the case and what's going on. It's they're coming in systematically and have been doing it for the last hundred years to take over an entire continent because they feel if, if, if they get a hold of Nigeria, they can take over all of Africa because Nigeria has the vast amount of natural resources and oil and minerals 
And if they get a hold of that country, so goes the rest of Africa. Yeah, that's the question I wanted to ask is why yeah. is Nigeria targeted uh, more than the other countries uh, in Africa? So, you know, that would explain that. I mean, it's unfortunate that uh, everybody's a victim. And so we are victims of climate change. And that's why I do what I do because of climate change. This is what James was saying in James chapter four. He said, what causes quarrels and what causes conflict? Why do you get angry? Of course, James says, is it not this that you desire and you do not have, so you murder? And so James has a 180 degree answer to why we get angry, why we kill people. It's not what happens to us in the mainstream media's view is climate change. It's actually what is happening in us. These are choices right. that we are making. I choose to yeah. get angry. I am not a victim of my environment or a victim of anything else. Ultimately, they are choices that I make. Of course, it's the same philosophy with gun control as well. Take away the guns, people will stop killing. Well, Chicago has the strictest gun, gun control laws in America. Right. But, right. uh, I mean, every weekend, there's always a number of four or more people that have been murdered by guns. But anyway, so I, I, I get the yeah. I get that uh, the the worldly uh, perspective, which is unfortunately, it is wrong. And I'm glad that you are trying to do something in this country. So then so uh, I just did um, back to back interviews this morning with Plumline. Uh, radio, uh, Jay Rudolph, um, with his program, which, by the way, is in Iowa. Aren't you in Iowa? I'm in Iowa. Uh, I don't remember the town. You're in Sioux City, but uh, his, uh, anyway, Iowa's not that big. But I will uh, reach out to um, Jay, and I'm pretty sure he would want you to be on his uh, radio station um, out of uh I think it's maybe out of Desmonis, but I can't remember. Um, but he also has one uh, starting up in uh, San Diego, Arizona, and also Florida. So he's expanding oh, wow. his radio ministry. I will reach out to Jay with Plumline, and actually I'll just connect you through email when I'm done here. Then y'all can talk to each other, and I'm sure he will want to... Uh, I'm kind of saying this publicly now. I'm speaking yeah, for Jay. Oh, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Jay, Jay will want you on his radio show. Uh, <laughs> I might have to walk that back. No, uh, he, he loves doing this, and he has a heart for what you are describing here. So I'll, I'll introduce you to after we're, we're done here. So uh, top three things that you need. Uh, sure. One is word of mouth, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, and anyone watching this, or this is also a podcast as well. This will go on our Rumble TV show. It'll go on YouTube. It'll be on our website at lifeovercoffee.com. There'll be a podcast developed out of this that will go to all of the podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, SoundCloud, etc. And so it will go in, in all of these uh, places. And so anybody that's watching or listening, yeah, just uh, contact equip thepersecuted.org and talk to Judd T. Saul. Uh, that's a that's an interesting name you you have there. Uh, it's quite it's quite it's quite. Hey, what's the T stand for anyway? Uh, uh, Trenton. Okay, Judd Trenton Saul, the executive director yes. of uh, <laughs> EquippingThePersecuted.org. And if there's something that you all can do with your ministries or in your churches, uh, you know, uh, contact Judd 
and uh, just see how that uh, you can help uh, to get this message out. Some of you may want to support him. Uh, again, you can do that at equipthepersecuted.org. Equipping. It's, it's equipping the persecuted. Do I keep saying that? I'm you sorry. Say equip. All right, there's now, a, now, that, now that you say that, I'm going to go. I'm going to go make a website called EquipThePersecuted.org and, and have just it, uh, <laughs> just just buy that URL and redirect it to, and you'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, equipping with an ing. Uh, I have all my my blue. Uh, my uh, blue lens glasses, they're not prescription. My prescription glasses are here. And so I'm looking at the monitor in front of me and I can't see that far. Uh, so that's on me. Uh, your website's fine and it's clear as a bell. Uh, yeah. I'm just an old man and I can't see. Uh, equipping ing the persecuted.org by the way in the show notes of the of the podcast that I will we will develop uh, we'll have all these links here plus his documentary etc uh, so you can uh, watch this stuff and then also contact him all right so getting the word out what would be a second need second uh, we need we need folks to donate we need people to um consider this being part of their mission giving uh would really encourage people to do that uh there's a lot of people that talk about the problem uh but we're actually doing something about it we're on the ground doing it and we regularly update weekly and tell you and show you what we're doing um there's some missions organizations that did something three years ago uh really have done much since and they still fundraise off that thing they did three years ago well we're doing something every week and expanding weekly and i'd like you to uh, people to really support our mission uh and then thirdly um well it's four things three uh pray for our mission pray for our security of our team and the people on the ground that risk their lives every day to be part of this mission um we need your prayers uh and that's i'd say first and foremost we need your prayers uh and then four um i'd like to ask people to get politically involved Contact your congressman and senator and tell them to put United States have United States lay pressure on the Nigerian government to protect and defend its own citizens and to stop the terrorists from killing Christians. Call your local senator, your congressman, and tell them to get involved. Um, and and that's about it. Yeah, uh, yeah. All right, so there's four great call to actions. Pray for this ministry. Uh, let people know about it, support the ministry. And then uh, for those of you, uh, I mean, anybody can write a letter, send an email. Uh, for those of you who are more closely connected to uh, a congressman or a senator or a political uh, person to uh, let them know, and uh, that, that would really be huge. Uh, how do you uh, guard your heart from uh, cynicism, um, just becoming weighted down. Uh, I'm in the counseling world and mm -hmm. have been for a long time. And so I hear, as, as I tell people, every story is bad. Uh, nobody comes to me struggling with joy. Uh, it's, it's always something else. It's like, hey, I got too much joy. Can you help me? I've never had that counselee. Right. Uh, and so, and, and when people talk about going into, I, I want to be a biblical counselor, I said, that's fantastic. Uh, let's talk for just a little bit. Uh, 
it reminds me when our children were little, we used to go to the circus and uh, I would watch the guy that walked behind the elephant and look at his shovel. And I told Lucia, I said, my wife, I said, I just need a bigger shovel uh, because I'm shoveling it all day long. And that's the view that I have just staring at the back of an elephant. Now, it takes a certain kind of person to do that. Uh, you have to have a sturdy right. soul. It's not for everyone because, uh, you, Judge, you're living on the underbelly of Christianity. Uh, you're living in that dark place where most Christians, and I'm not saying it, I'm, I'm not throwing shade on Christians, uh, but I'm saying you've made a choice to live in a different place to where you see uh, Christianity and the darkness of this world collide in some of the most catastrophic ways. My world's not like that uh, to that degree, but I do mm -hmm. live on the underbelly of Christianity, and I have to guard my heart from being overwhelmed uh, by right. the stuff that I encounter, the stories that I hear, uh, the crying people that I talk to, and the angry people that I talk to. So how do you guard your heart from being overwhelmed uh, by this and just staying fresh and, and really focused on the mission without, you know, despairing? Lots of prayer. Lots of prayer. Because it's easy to get lost in your own mind and lost in the problems like, okay, you know, how can I solve this? How can I take this? And how can I, 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 that, that's not, that's not what you do. It's, you go to the Bible, you read the word and you pray and you ask God, Okay, Lord, what can I do for you today? You ask God what he wants you to do today. And then I, I, I got very frustrated. I'll just be honest. Uh, several, a few months ago where I was just like hitting a wall going, because we can't solve this whole situation on our own. I can't solve right. this as a mission. We can't end the thing, but we can do things to mitigate. And it just... It's just one person at a time. Helping out one person at a time. If I can stop somebody from starving to death, if I can stop somebody from, uh, you know, from having to worry about where they're going to live, if I can stop somebody from worrying about, you know, are they going to get any education whatsoever, um, that's, that's why... That's why I do what I do, and that's what keeps me from getting jaded. Because there, I mean, there are times where I would get jaded, and I just kind of get angry and uh, say, you know, what's all this for? Well, it's it's one person at a time. And yeah, that that's a good word. Yeah. Uh, that'd be a good way to close here. Like, if you're going to climb Mount Everest, uh, you you need not not focus so much on the mountain, but look at each stage as you're moving right. up. The person that's in front of you, the next camp that you have to go to, uh, and and don't get overwhelmed with the bigness of the problem. And, and that's also good for folks here in America. We can spend too much time on the X platform or whatever platform it is, and, and that whole world's just falling apart, and we can be overwhelmed by it. But we just need to do what's in front of us and love that person uh, that's in our real space and then just keep keep moving forward from that point forward. This is Judd T. Saul. He's the executive director of EquippingThePersecuted.org. His wife, uh, Sherry, they've been married 19 years as of a few days ago. 
and uh, they're doing a good work in Nigeria. They have five children, and uh, so pray for Jed T. Saul, equipping uh, the persecuted.org. You can reach out through that link. Jed, thank you uh, so much for giving me uh, your time, and I, I trust the Lord will continue to bless your ministry. Well, thank you for having me on, brother, and keep up your ministry. Love it. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.